Welcome to the Abracadam Podcast, and I'm your host, stand-up comedy magician Danny Whitson. I hope all my Abracadamits are uh, doing good, hanging in there. Hope you had a good week. You have made it to the weekend, so congratulations. I uh, Not a whole lot going on for me right now. Um, I do got a show coming up uh, next Saturday at Happy Trails Brewery in Sparta, Tennessee. So I'm looking forward to doing that. So if you are in uh, Sparta, Tennessee area and would like to see some comedy magic and some great comics also, um, be sure to check it out. It's social distancing safe. Wear a mask and uh, come out and laugh with your mask on. That'll That works for me. Perfect. I, uh, guys, I think I, I had an encounter with a serial killer today. I'm pretty sure I, uh, had some type of interaction with a serial killer because I was in the grocery store and I overheard someone say that they wanted chocolate lemon cake. And we all know the only human being that could eat chocolate lemon cake would be a serial killer. So, I survived. They didn't get me. So, that's good. So, I'll tell you what, let's get in with our, our sponsors here at the Abracadam Podcast. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate doing laundry. I can't stand it. No, I got better things to do in life than to fold my socks. So, let Bob's Washboard Wash and Fold Service do that for you. Do your complete wash in only four minutes. Two minutes to drop it off and two minutes to pick it up. Drop off your laundry and go live your life, baby. Go find something fun to do. Go see a movie. Go catch butterflies. Go paint trees. Whatever it is you like to do, go do it. Come back and your laundry will be clean, folded, and ready to go. Also, if you're traveling to the Knoxville area or Anderson County area, and you need somewhere to do your laundry, Bob's Washboard Wash and Fold will take care of you. Definitely check them out at 122 Randolph Road, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and give them a call at 865-951-3237. And give our Facebook page a like at Bob's Washboard. Also, this episode is brought to you by Mad Science Judo and Jiu-Jitsu. Now, I've been watching the Cobra Kai series on Netflix here lately, and it got me thinking about some things. Like, what would you do, Danny, if you were attacked? I mean, would you really, really, truly know how to defend yourself? Now, most of us think, like, we can get away with a, I don't know, pick up a a, a wrench or something, or, or maybe do the molar and curly eye poke. But let's be honest, you would know what to do. That's why you need to let Coach Ted at Mad Science Judo and Jiu-Jitsu teach you what to do. Now, Coach Ted is a 20-year military veteran, and he served in Iraq and Afghanistan, so this guy knows real-world self-defense. He's a fourth-degree black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. He's a fourth-degree black belt in Judo, a second-degree black belt in Kempo, and a first-degree black belt in Kung Fu, the list goes on and on. This guy's got more belts than a J.C. Penney's and a Belk. Got more than a Goodwill. And right now, they've got an introductory special going, a two-week trial program for just $39.99. You get two weeks of unlimited classes and a training uniform to wear. Definitely can't beat this. 
Be sure to check out Mad Science Judo and Jiu-Jitsu located at 697 Emory Valley Road, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Give them a call at 865-440-2210 and check them out on the internet at madsciencejudoandjujitsu.com. Now, besides being attacked, another thing we all need to think about is what would you do if your car broke down? You'd be stuck. Yeah. Who would you call? I mean, that's a big fear of mine. What would I do? I'm no mechanic. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know anything about cars. I don't. But that's okay. Because if you do break down, let Will's towing take care of you. That's right. Will Roberts at Will's Towing. Professional service, fast and safe. Will's Towing. Anytime your car breaks down, any trouble, don't hesitate to call Will at 865-272-5300, located at 2081 Oak Ridge Turnpike, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Let Will's Towing be your first choice for any of your towing services. Okay, I'm ready to get right into this. Um, this guest, I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. She has one of the most interesting beginning origin stories for a magician that I've ever heard. Uh, she has accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. Um, she's done some really cool things. She's seen some really cool things and been to some really cool places. I uh, have been looking forward to releasing this episode for a little while now. Um, so, guys, please sit back and relax, and I know you're going to enjoy my fun and interesting conversation with magician Tanya Solomon. All right, we're here with Tanya Solomon. How you doing today, Tanya? Hey, I'm good. How you doing, Danny? Doing good for, you know, making the best out of it. I mean, that's a ridiculous question these days, but I should say relatively how you doing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, you care to introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure. Uh, I'm Tanya Solomon, and uh, I am a magician. I was a magician a lot more frequently before we entered this hellscape. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of twiddling my fingers just like you and everybody else's. Uh, I focus on comedy in my magic. I do magic for adults and for kids. I have separate characters usually for adult stuff and for family stuff. Um, I live in New York City. I've had a couple of other entertainment careers before I was a magician. I've been a sideshow performer. I was a clown. Don't get scared. Not the Pennywise kind of clown. Uh, then I, I went back and forth and finally decided to stick with magic about seven years ago. So uh, I had a very late start and I was touring the country until you know what? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Now let me, where are you originally from, uh, Tanya? I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. And now you're currently residing in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. So that's got to be uh, a big change going from Kansas City to Brooklyn. I've been here a while with uh, intermittent years in New Orleans. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, now you, you, you said you've you've jumped around some before you landed in career magic, uh, correct? That's correct, yeah. So um, you were a clown, a sideshow performer? 
Yeah, I mean, before that, I worked in publishing. And then I was getting a, a master's degree in philosophy. And then I ran away with the circus. So <laughs> it's been kind of a checkered path, Danny. Now, first of all, everybody loves philosophy. I do. I know I dig out on it, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, so how far were you into it? I mean, did you almost have the master's? I got the master's. Oh, you got the master's. And then you wanted to join the circus. Uh, I joined the circus while I was writing my thesis, but I made it. That but is then awful. I dropped out of the PhD track. <laughs> I was on my track towards academia after working in publishing. I had not performed since the elementary school play, never even did high school or college theater, anything like that. And I just fell in love with the circus. That is awesome. So you had no background in, in performing at all until? None. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now, was it was it the philosophy that kind of like got you thinking that you want to be an entertainer? Uh, no, 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 not at all. Um, I didn't even think I wanted to be an entertainer. Uh, I was obsessed with this little circus out of Brooklyn. This was uh, about 1999 or so uh, called the Bindlestiff Family Circus. Do you remember them? They used to cover uh, the country. I don't think so. Um, they stick to New York state nowadays, but they, they used to have a following around the country. They were like this little punk rock circus at that time. They've become a lot more professional. Uh, they, they were, uh, this was right after the, the heyday of the Jim Rose circus. If you remember that, just this real, like Jim Rose toured with Lollapalooza, like this really punk rock sideshow. Um, Bindle Stiff was based in Brooklyn and they were kind of like this punk rock artsy aesthetic. And they also had some really hardcore sideshow skills. At that time, they were mostly sideshow and they were just starting to develop their circus skills. And I went and saw them one night in the late 90s, just because that's what there was to do in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And it was just the most literally magical atmosphere I've ever been in. I don't, I, I say literally magical because, yeah, they had a magician in the cast, but it was the first time I'd ever been in that environment of live variety entertainment. One weird, extremely skilled, hilarious, gender bending, just freakish performer after the other. The only thing I'd ever seen like that was the Coney Island sideshow. And they were related to that. There was a lot of back and forth with the Coney Island sideshow. Um, and I was just fixated. I couldn't get enough. They did a weekly show at the Brooklyn Brewery and I went back every week and watched them. And some months later, a friend who was in, they were playing in their band. Uh, they said, the Bindle Stiffs are in Atlanta. They're on tour right now and their merch person had to leave. Do you wanna go do merch for them for two weeks? And I was like, yeah, I'm on break from school. I was, at that point I was pretty far along in my studies. I had quit my regular job and I was working for a professor, you know, I had, I had free time at that moment. It was in the summer and they flew me down to Atlanta. I met up with them to sell merch for two weeks. And by the time those two weeks were up, I was eating live insects on stage with the circus. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's crazy. But now, now, so where did you, you, you got involved with this? Is this in New York or is this back in Missouri or? 
Uh, I met them. They were from New York, but they were in Atlanta touring through the South. So you were in Atlanta going to school, correct? Oh, no, no, no. I was going to school in New York City. Oh, okay. Okay. So they just happened to be on tour. Oh, okay. All right. They were on tour and you saw them there. And then mixing, I mean, and you're eating insects on stage. Yeah, to clarify, I saw them in Brooklyn and I joined them on tour. Okay. Okay. And I didn't mean to join the circus. I meant to sell their t-shirts for a couple of weeks and I ended up on stage and never quit. Was it that easy? I mean, is it as easy as like how you, you see like in the jerk, you know, I mean, you're just, I'm going to go <laughs> join my this favorite thing. movie. That's one of my favorite movies. movies. Is it as easy as the jerk? There was a window open. Um, that window was the nineties. I mean, this was the tail end of it. Maybe this was like 2000 by that point, but uh, there was this punk rock aesthetic and you're probably old enough to remember yeah. that. It was a DIY aesthetic, uh, do it yourself, create your own culture. If you weren't born into a circus family, go out and learn from some of the old show folk and put on your own show with your own aesthetic. And if some freaky people happen to come along and you want them in your circus, they can join. They may not have the skills yet, but they can join. Uh, Bindle Stiff Family Circus still exists and they're not like that anymore. They have highly skilled, world-class performers. But at the time I joined them, uh, a schmuck they found amusing off the street could get in on the ground floor. Now you were eating bugs. Okay. Well, I Danny, I didn't have any skills. <laughs> I mean, uh, what happened was so we were, we were in Asheville, North Carolina. And we got, I love Asheville. Oh my God, I love that city. Um, we got to the venue and I was setting up my merch table and the bartender said to the ringmistress, we have the bugs for your insectivore. And as you can probably guess what an insectivore is, someone who eats live <laughs> insects for fun and profit. Um, and the ringmistress says, oh, she's not with us this year. And I said, can I try? Because I was so swept up in the whole thing. And they laughed at me, but I was like, no, I'll do it. How do, how do you eat bugs? And the ringmistress said, well, first you drink vodka. <laughs> so we sat down at the bar and she had me drinking vodka. The reason you do that is just so you can deal with how gross it is. She taught me the secret to eating live insects. And... I was up on stage. I didn't know how to perform. I didn't know how to do an act. I was being, you know what it means to be talked, right? In sideshow language. Okay. To be talked is like, let's say you have someone lying on a bed of nails, for example. Uh, if they are talked, that means someone else is narrating or talking okay. to the audience as they're doing their act. There was um, a six foot five drag queen blue bunny who was uh, talking the act as I was eating bugs and just kind of giggling. But then I started talking while I was doing it and they were like, you're kind of funny. Do you want to do our winter cabaret? And it went from there. Okay, so, so many questions here real quick. Gosh, all right. Now I'm assuming prior before this, you had never eaten a bug before, correct? Not purposely. Not on purpose. Not on purpose, okay. And- uh, In fact, I was raised eating kosher. Oh yeah, <laughs> you went way overboard on that one. I did. <laughs> The, uh, okay, what kind of bug were you eating? Uh, the bugs we usually used were night crawlers or Ugh. crickets. And if it was a special occasion, Madagascar hissing roaches. 
Oh my dear God. So you are a live episode <laughs> of Fear Factor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Those hiss and cockroaches are huge. Yeah. They're not cockroaches really. They're just called roaches. They're not like those little roaches you see in your kitchen, which I would never eat because those are truly <laughs> disgusting. Madagascar hissing roaches are nice and clean and their insides taste like shampoo. Is that what they taste like a shampoo? Oh my God, that's still gross though. <laughs> so, okay, how, how many nights a week or, or, or how long did you have to eat the bugs? Uh, well, it only takes 30 seconds to eat a bug, Danny. No, well, I, know, I mean, like, <laughs> um, how long no, was I, that I, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just, being, I'm just being an asshole. Um, I don't know. I would probably take me a lot longer to eat a bug. Oh, I no, would... you want to get it down as quickly as you can and you don't want to chew the night crawlers. Oh. Um, well, that particular tour, it only lasted, I think I was doing that for a week. But after that, especially when I had my own sideshow and I was doing a bunch of acts, I was doing it every day, sometimes more than once. Now, are, is there any like nutritional facts to Madagascar hissing cockroaches? And, and I mean, it's pure live raw protein. Okay. If you could eat a cow live, that would be such a protein rush. Gosh, that would, <laughs> that's, that's true. And it's weird. Isn't it weird that how we, we eat some things and develop a taste for some things, but bugs never did hop on the menu. Not in our uh, culture. They're, they're off-putting. They're off-putting, which is why they make a good act. That's, I, you know, I would watch that. I would totally watch that. They always, the, the, the circus always had a small woman eating the bugs. I was told that was most effective with an audience. It's just the grossest thing. <laughs> Especially because she's going to be wearing lipstick. Oh, oh man. But that I did is... learn by doing that, I not only learned how to be on stage and how to present myself on stage and how to talk to an audience, I learned the joy of shocking people and that... making them see something they did not expect. That, that there is a joy in that. I got to say that there is a joy in that. As you well know. And the, uh, it's, it's nice. I love this. Okay. This is, this is one of my favorite. Okay. Anyone listening? This is my favorite origin story of all time because magicians, we have origin stories like, like comic book heroes, you know, and, uh, Tanya has the coolest ones, you know, she wasn't bit by a spider. She bit the spider. Well, Danny, let me tell you how I started out as a magician. Um, like most magicians, I started out as a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> uh, that is funny, but totally, totally doable these days. And, but it, that is it very happened, but it didn't. <laughs> oh man. That's what, well, how did, cause, cause that's the interesting thing is I, I, and I don't even know why it's boys are always drawn to magic. And it's, it's like girls, I don't know if, if, if they're not, or they, or the way our culture was designed, you know, to attract boys and not girls into magic. Um, what, yeah, well, definitely. I wanted to comment that I teach magic to children. I mean, before, what was your word for COVID? Bump, 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 or something like yeah. that. Um, uh, before all of this, I taught, I still do it online. I, I teach magic to children and gender doesn't matter. They don't blink an eye that their teacher is female. These are kids eight to 12 usually. 
Um, and the girls are just as intuitive as the boys. So, and the, the cool thing is, is you got into it later as an adult. Way later. Way later, which is also a very, you know, uh, I was kind of a late bloomer too for magic. Uh, I mean, I, I was, well, I mean, I, I'd had the interest on and off uh, growing up as a child, but also in, you didn't really know where to go to learn magic back then. You know, there was nowhere really to go. Where did you grow up? Well, in right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, my dad was a trickster. You know, he would do little tricks on me and stuff. And I, I so I kind of got that from him. But it wasn't until, you know, I was, you know, in my early 20s before I started taking it serious and trying to really, really learn, you know. So uh, it, uh, you know, definitely a late bloomer. I wasn't, I didn't get the magic kit, you know, as, as a kid. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. Hmm. So, uh, but I mean, you know, late bloomers, uh, I, I think we turn out pretty good. So <laughs> I'm still hoping. I mean, I bloomed way late. Uh, that story I'm telling you that happened when I was about 29, 30. And uh, I didn't even start. Well, I was doing some magic when I was inside show, but I didn't start focusing on magic till I was 35. And I didn't decide I am a magician till I was 41. Yeah. And now at the age of 88, I'm still <laughs> learning. You know, uh, you look great for 88, Tanya. Really, oh, you do. <laughs> the... You, you know, and that's something weird too. And I've, I've never brought that up to another magician. I've never mentioned this, but there is something about whenever you're studying magic that, you know, you don't feel like a magician yet. I, I can't call myself a magician yet, you know, but then it comes to that moment to where you're like, you know what? I, I feel comfortable calling myself a magician now. And uh, it, it's, it's that weird little thing, that process in your head, I guess, that you go through. Um, but yeah, I, I remember the day that I thought, you know what, I, I can call myself a magician now. What was that day for you? Oh, man, I remember uh, it was it was right before it was actually my first gig. You know, I felt I felt like I even though that even though I don't think uh, that's what you have to have a do a gig to, to actually be a magician. There's a lot of magicians that just create, you know, then they don't really do shows, but it was uh, just finally getting to see a stranger's reactions to what I do versus family members. And uh, because, you know, for years we're the knowingest family member for, you know, you know, let me show you this, let me show you that, you know? So uh and I just remember that day feeling like, you know, you're finally a magician. Awesome. I think I was 25, 24, 25 years old. So nice. It, uh, but um, for you, though, your story is so interesting. But, okay, you're 35 years old. You're eating bugs on stage. <laughs> I wasn't at 35, but around, around uh, 29, 30. Yeah. 29, 30, you're eating bugs on stage. You're developing stage presence. You you you're getting that rush, that 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 drug that the audience gives us. That you know, and uh, what got you into magic? What was it that said, okay, now I'm I'm interested? Well, I got to zip forward a few years here, and this is where the start story starts getting a little hard to follow. But uh, so uh, with the circus, I ended up um, traveling with them for a few years. Um, let me see. Uh, I'm getting the chronology straight in my head. It's a very 
bumpy chronology. Uh, I spun off from the circus with my boyfriend at the time. We had our own two-person traveling sideshow. At the same time, I'd started to work for Coney Island sideshow sometimes. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the Coney Island Circus sideshow. At that time, it was called Sideshows by the Seashore, but same thing. And when I was doing that, I was doing some magic in the circus. Like one of the very first acts I did was psychic surgery. I'm sure you know how that's done. And uh, if any of your listeners are thinking of getting psychic surgery to cure their illnesses, I gotta tell you now, it is a straight up magic trick. Go see the Andy Kaufman movie, don't do it. God, that was but if you want a magician to pull chicken livers out of your stomach, I'm not gonna tell you how, but I will tell you that is not your spiritual tumor. But I can find your spiritual tumor if you're willing to pay a few more bucks. <laughs> no, uh, psychic surgery was, was one of my things. I would do a little medicine show. So I, I had some of the chops already and I was learning some magic for fun along with the sideshow skills. And then at some point I realized sideshow is not my thing. And when I say sideshow, I should probably define that for your listeners, right? Sideshow, uh, as, it's, as it's used these days, the sideshow uh, with a circus used to have a lot more what's called natural born freaks, which sounds offensive to people, but it's something that people are very proud of. If you are in a circus sideshow and you are born differently abled and you're acting on stage, it's something to be really proud of. In modern times, there are more of what are called working acts. And a lot of your listeners have probably seen these things, things like eating light bulbs, pounding a nail up your nose, swallowing a sword, eating blowing fire, lying on a bed of nails, et cetera, et cetera. These things are different from magic tricks because they are real. What you're seeing in a sideshow, whether it's someone with different abilities or someone who's a working act, who's trained themselves to do something bizarre, you are seeing something absolutely real. That sword does not fold up. Uh, when we would travel with our, with our sideshow, I was doing a whole bunch. My boyfriend and I had the show split and I was, I was doing the thing where you stick needles in yourself, you pound nails up your nose. I did the bed of nails, I did the insects. I never swallowed swords, can never, that is hardcore. When you see someone swallow a sword, give them respect, that is not fake. Anyway, I realized that sideshow had been a good way into performing, but it sometimes bothered me to gross people out. My thing is making people laugh. And I thought, I would like to switch over to magic. I want to put in the study and the work that it takes. I love some of the magic acts I have seen. And it so happened that there was an incredible person to study with living in my city. Uh, if you remember Harry Anderson. Yes, I remember <laughs> Harry Anderson. First of all, you brought up Harry. Harry is a big influence on me, like a hardcore influence. And I, I've met Harry a couple times. Uh, and uh, I mean, he was always just a super, super cool guy. First time I met him, I, I was even, you know, it was, I was starstruck. I was, but, 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 but Harry, you know, but uh, the second time, you know, it was, you know, I was a little more relaxed. And, but yeah, he was, Harry is one of my number one influences on, on, on my magic and, and my comedy. Well, that figures. 
and he was he was a totally sweet guy really good-hearted guy but like you i was petrified of meeting him i mean i watched night court when i was a teenager i i love judge stone who's a character just who's a lot like harry in real life he had a, he and his wife elizabeth had a magic shop and sideshow memorabilia shop in the French Quarter in New Orleans. And I decided to go to Harry and ask him how I should go about learning magic. I was living in New Orleans at that time. I'd moved from New York. I go in the shop. I'd been in there before, but I'd always been very shy and just kind of lurking around, buying a couple of things. But this time I was determined to talk to him. And he was in there with his elephant man, ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> Did you ever see him do that? It was, it was a ventriloquist dummy with a bag on its head, and it was super easy ventriloquism because it was just going like, <laughs> and it was it was a hilarious act. So all these people were in there watching him do that, and when he was done, I was like, Mr. Anderson, would you teach me some magic? Or no, I didn't say that. I was like, I want to ask you, how do I learn magic? That's what I asked him, and he asked what I do, what experience I'd had. And I said, I'd been in the Coney Island sideshow and I had traveled as a sideshow performer and that was his thing. I mean, Harry loved sideshow. He, he loved sideshow acts. And he was just like, oh my God, you're in sideshow, come with me. And we went into the back room of the magic shop and he threw me a silver ball and taught me how to float it. Awesome. And after that, whenever he was available, I could just go to him for magic lessons. He told me what to read. He recommended effects. He taught me a lot about character and performance, which is what he always put first. And I did that for a while with him. And all right, now we're going to do the telescope version because I don't want to talk too much. So I'm going to compress it. Uh, I went off to Europe and started busking. That's another long story how I ended up there. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm so impressed with your resume already. And, and you know, I'm super impressed. I'm super impressed. Because first of all, Harry Anderson, that's my man. Okay, that is my man right there. I, I love, I'm a big Harry Anderson fan. And uh, like I said, he was a big influence on me. And also, my, I have a background in, in busking and street performing. But you went to Europe. It was because I knew a lot of circus performers who were doing stuff in Europe. I knew a whole bicycle circus that was over there. By this time, I was in the New Orleans circus and show community, circus, burlesque, variety arts. I knew a lot of people over there, a lot of kids who were in, when I say kids, I mean people in their 30s, but you know. Yeah, I do that too. People who had a bicycle circus, and I had connections there, and uh, I went over there and started doing street shows based on, I, had, I hadn't even been doing it a year and I shouldn't have been doing it. It was too early, but the tricks I had, I had them down and Harry had been advising me and he was encouraging. He was like, you're ready. One thing he always encouraged me about was like, he, he said, you have a background in entertainment. Most magicians don't know how to perform. And at that point I had like five years or so, five, six years under my belt. He said, you can hold an audience, go, mess up your tricks, just go do it on the street. You'll learn your repertoire. And he was right. Like I did it enough times and I really got the material down and winnowed out the bad material and all that. I went back and did that for a couple of years. But while I was over in Europe, I saw clowns. 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Hey, where's everybody going? I said clowns. <laughs> Which is, it's a different thing in Europe. And now everybody, when I say it's a different thing in Europe, they're thinking about baskets. They're yeah. thinking about bad like Pierrot makeup. Uh, Europeans respect circus and variety arts a lot more than we do. And they love physical comedy. People know the French love Jerry Lewis for better or for worse. And they had clowns over there who were not wearing makeup or wearing hardly any makeup, who were sheerly physical comedians. They were these vulnerable, idiotic characters. They were performing in the street. I was traveling around mostly Southern France and Spain. And I saw so many of these performances. I'd never seen anything like it. I fell in love. I was like, that's what I want to do. You mentioned the jerk. That to me is an ultimate clown movie. If you think about Steve Martin's character in the jerk, Navin, I think was his name. Mm -hmm. That is a clown. Someone who is a pure raw idiot. The pure raw idiot that we all have inside of us. That we're all trying our best as rational adults to hide, but it's in there. If you go to someone who teaches clowning, they're going to tell you that you have your own personal clown. You've got your own pure idiot who's inside of you and you have to bring that out so you can play with an audience and if you if you think about the jerk you, you think about that kind of character that's what I saw in Europe and that's what I wanted to do so I came back to the United States and pursued that for several years there isn't that much of a clowning business in the United States there's birthday party clowns with runny makeup god forbid uh which I never, I never got a birthday party clown. I don't know if you did. Uh, my parents got a plumber for my birthday. That was, a birthday party plumber? Was he wearing makeup? I think he may have been wearing makeup, but the toilet was clogged. So that's. <laughs> now, wait, I can't tell if you're being serious or not. Were you like a, a three-year-old obsessed with plumbing and they hired a plumber? No, that would have been awesome. I'm totally lying, but go ahead. Oh, damn. I was so hoping that was the case. Because you hear about these little like preschoolers with eccentric interests. And then their parents hire like, I well, don't not know. About like, the, the toilet, probably not. But the toilet was always clogged, it seemed like at our house. But no. Well, I hope that worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay so. I'm glad your toilet's unclogged now. Uh, I forgot where we were <laughs> so hard about a birthday party plumber. Oh, about, um, yeah, the clowns. Yeah. While I was, I had moved back to New York and I went into, oh, let's, I said I was going to compress the story. We'll make the long, long story short. <laughs> Basically, I ended up working in a magic store while I was still doing this clowning stuff because I had magic skills. I got hired as a demonstrator. And while I was there, I realized that it was a lot more feasible to be a magician. And this is kind of taboo for a magician to say, because I'm supposed to say, I fell in love with the craft. <laughs> I fell in love with the tricks. I fell in love with the sleights of hand. I fell in love with having a plausible vehicle to entertain people. People hire magicians, they don't hire clowns, not the kind of clown that I was. I could be a magician and do the kind of ridiculous performance I wanted to do. And I do love magic tricks. I love the skills, I love the effects. I could immerse myself in that. That was about 2012 and I've been building on it ever since then. Let me let me say this, the the, the one thing I do love about you, Tanya, is uh, me and you are on the same, almost on the, the same grounds here because I I would much rather 
watch something entertaining. I would rather watch a magician do uh, the invisible deck entertaining than the magician doing some crazy thing that's going to blow me away, but he's just super dull, boring. I hardly ever leave my parents' basement. Um, and, you know, there's something about the entertainment thing, too. And, and I fell in love with magic from the start. I, I fell in love with that. But what, what, when I learned how to entertain, I fell in love with entertaining. So, and that's, that's, you know, you're an entertainer first before you're a magician is what it sounds like. I try to be. And that's one thing that Harry Anderson went on and on about. He couldn't talk about it enough. Uh, he was so bored by magic that was pure finger flinging. He wanted to see, now, now don't get me wrong. To be a magician, you have to have the skills down. You Absolutely. have to mystify. No matter how funny you're being, you have to deliver some magic. But uh, Harry would go on about how a lot of magicians just don't know how to entertain. And to me, it's like, it's like a juggler. I mean, some of my favorite performers are jugglers. They are people who have incredible skills and they know how to get up in front of an audience and bring that audience on a journey with them and you know, sort of exchange energy with the audience and adjust themselves to that particular live audience and the whole craft of the live performer and to bring them into a character and all of that. But most jugglers you see, they've practiced for 20 years, but they're boring as hell. <laughs> you know, it's, you see that and yeah, you see it in magic too. And, you know, I, I've told this story several times, but I always tell the story about um, the first time ever bombing on stage is I left the streets and went into the comedy clubs and my goal was, though, is, you know, when I first showed up to an open mic, I was the magician and I did magic tricks and they loved me. But uh, I wasn't learning stand up comedy. So I had set a goal for myself to learn stand up comedy. So, you know, there was a period of, you know, at least two years where I didn't do any magic at all on stage. I got up and just huh. rolled my bits and told them and uh I'll never forget the first time bombing on stage is I was, it was, it was called the giggle before you gobble show, which was a big giant bringer show, but it was packed. And I was last out of this lineup. You know, these bringer shows, there's like a hundred comics on one show. And uh, I remember thinking, Oh yeah, I've, I've got this. I'm going to clean it up. They're going to love me, you know? And uh, I went up there and it was, uh, I was bombing and it, first time I'd ever actually really bombed because I'm a magician. I'm used to getting from the, you know, I, I developed a little act out on the street. I was used to getting interaction, but I wasn't doing magic. I was just telling my jokes and they, they, you know, they weren't digging it. And I remember in the back of my head thinking, I can entertain you people, damn it. I can entertain you people. But if I gave in to pulling out the magic trick or something, I would not learn stand-up comedy you know i would not learn that that bomb feeling so i remember driving home and it's like the worst drive home. <laughs> i was like this is horrible but uh i mean so but to me you know and now you know my act is is a, is a blend of both but i had to learn that and because i wanted to be entertaining you know so i knew it was it was kind of like uh entertainment college that's an interesting way to put it so 
but and and with you, I mean, you've got several layers. You know, you've you've done the street performing, you've you've seen comedy, and also the cool thing that you've got to witness with your own eyes is you've gotten to see the way the variety arts are looked at in Europe versus how they are in America, um, which is a lot different. Yes. And uh, they embrace creativity so much more, I think over there. And fund it. <laughs> That's the big one. They fund it. Yes. Uh, so, okay. Now um, let me bring this up to, I want to bring this up and just touch on this real quick. Uh, being a female magician. Now we see it in comedy uh, female comics. First of all, I, I'm going to say this right now. I, I never refer to them as female or male comics. I just refer to them as comics. Thank uh, you. And I'm going to say this in the Southeast, the top five comics in the Southeast, I'm going to say three of them are female and the funniest. Um, I uh, know a lot of, you know, funny comics and um, now with and magicians, not as many uh magicians uh that, that happen to be female so but let me ask you this do have you have you caught any any static over being a a, a female magician do you there think? are disadvantages and there are advantages first of all i have to say thank you danny for saying comic and magician instead of female comic female <laughs> magician i cannot stand an mc who introduces me as a female magician I think the audience can figure that out for themselves. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I saw somebody posted this on uh, comedy complaints. They were like, the, the male MC that brings up the female comic as, up next, we have the lovely. Really? Why don't you just bring them up, you jerk? You know, I mean, come on. You know, I, I think it's, it's crazy. But, but you said there's advantages and disadvantages. What are some of the advantages first? Well, just within booking itself. I'm an independent freelancing performer and sometimes I will get hired because I am female. More of the time it works against me. If, uh, if someone in my area in New York city is looking to book a magician, they're not, a lot of times I can tell they don't even think of me when they're running through magicians in their heads. If I'm not in the regular roster, they just think of the male magicians. However, if someone asks for a female magician, I'm going to be the first person they call a lot of the time. There are a couple other very good female magicians here. Uh, they're going to call. They're going to call one of us. But normally, our names do not even get raised for bookings. So it, that's an advantage and a disadvantage. You know, I um, want to say. I, let me say this real quick. I want to say, uh, seeing your act, I love the metamorphosis trunk that you did. Oh, thanks. And the thing. Uh, you know, most magicians have seen that and the public, you know, ha have seen it too. The routine done so much, but I love the touch, what you put on it. You put a nice little fooler on it. So uh, I really enjoy it. Thank you. If you're talking about the spin on the metamorphosis trunk itself or the, the narrative. Well, I, I, I like the way that uh, when it's revealed. Yes, you're talking about the the. I got to design that. That was fun. Um, I had a, a theatrical residency and uh, they said they could build an illusion for me. And yeah, I, I figured out a way to alter a sub trunk. That sub trunk has been sitting 
in a garage in Rockaway, Queens for like three, four years. I never get any gigs where I can, it's, it's my big illusion and I never get to use it, but man, that was fun making that thing. Man, well, like I said, I, I, I loved it. When I saw it, I was like, oh, I like that. I'm glad it, you noticed that. Yeah. The audience wouldn't notice that. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, that's the other thing. You know, I love to see when magicians put their ideas and, and their personality into their act. And, you know, that you're not just seeing, you know, magic tricks, but you're seeing a, a, a bit of them. You know, which you do that in your act as well. I see you do some of the dancing and some of the stuff. So, I, which I think is super cool. Uh, I try. And also, I, I want to shout out to, I mentioned Harry Anderson. Uh, I've had a few magic mentors. I should also mention this guy who's not a well-known magician, but he, he uh, I worked with him demonstrating magic and he, he ran Tannins for a while. He ran the Halloween Adventure Magic Store. Victor Magnus helped me a lot. But this guy, uh, a lay audience won't have heard of him, but his name is Bizarro. I'm sure you've heard of him. I've, I've never met Bizarro, but yes, I have heard of him, yes. Bizarro is this guy who is extremely generous. He's not only a genius, he's a magical inventor. He's a great performer, and he actively reaches out to magicians who he sees developing things and says, here, let me give you a hand. And he, he hammers this point into your head that no matter what you're doing, you can do all the classics of magic, but you have to give them your own spin. You have to have a twist in the trick. You have to have a twist in the routine and you have to make it something original to your character and your delivery and all that. Bizarro's words to live by. I, I agree with that 100% because, you know, with, with my, like the one good thing, the only silver lining out of COVID, okay, for me, was I've I've almost got an, a, a new hour's worth of material. I mean, literally, my mind had just been, you know, and uh, you know, like um, I, now I did introduce this before COVID, but but um, some things were brand new that had been done a couple times on stage, and but so with that, along with some other things, but um. I love doing it. If, if, if anytime, if I see an effect and I'm like, how can I put Danny Whitson's twist on that? What, what, how would Danny Whitson do that? And, uh, I, that I love to see that. I love to see that. Now I will tell you, I'm a, I don't know. Do you know the uh, magician room clan? Oh my God. I love room clan. <laughs> okay. Okay. First of all, he's, he's, he's my favorite favorite. And, uh, but yeah. it, it's also most frustrating for me to watch. And this is why. Because when I see Rune do something on stage and I'm like, damn it, I wish I would have thought of that. And it kills me. Like, have you seen, okay, I'll tell this real quick. His, his billiard ball routine. Where, no, I haven't. Is that on YouTube? Um, it is. This is. I'm sure it is. But it's, this is, it's just so ridiculous. But to me, it's brilliant. He goes, he tells the audience, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some magic to music now. And he pulls out the balls and does a beer balls, but instead he he puts headphones in, and he starts oh, yelling at the audience. Yes. <laughs> so I watch. He's yelling, "How's this?" You know, he's doing the ball ma manipulation, and I'm just looking. I'm like, "That is brilliant." Oh my god, I'm so jealous. I can't watch this. Don't you, know? you want to steal all his material? <laughs> you know. Now, 
the uh, I, you know, I'm a big room clan. Uh, I, I love watching old Tommy Cooper. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we have the same taste, Danny. Yes, we do. And but you know, I think that's that's real important, though. You know, it really is. To put your you mentioned place. Tommy Cooper. I don't know if uh, most of the audience will have heard of him, but a lot of people will have. Most of us, I'll have heard of him if if I say the magician who died on live TV. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, but uh, he was a very skilled magician. Uh, you might know who he is if I say he's the guy, this huge Welsh man with a fez. And he just bumbles his magic so badly. On purpose, I mean, it's part of the act. He was a really skilled magician, but like uh, Carl Ballantyne also, he found that what worked to entertain an audience was fouling everything up, interspersed with really funny stand-up comedy. And so that's what he did. For him, the priority was making the audience laugh. He had some surprises in there. He did do the mystification, but it was just about making them laugh, not about being the most skilled wizard there was. You know, Tommy, I mean, in a lot of ways, he was a prop comic, you know, and uh, probably one of the, the funniest uh, memes out there of Tommy Cooper is he's talking about his, uh, his, his camel fur coat. He's like, no, really, it's camel fur, fur, and he turns sideways, and there's big humps on the back of the coat. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Tommy Cooper joke. Just not many people could deliver his jokes either. They're so corny. <laughs> they are, but I don't, I don't, I just think they get me. I, I they get me every time. Now, so uh, other than so, you've had some 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 pretty cool mentors in magic, which I don't even know. I think mentoring now is a little different. Um, than way it used to be you know now a lot a lot of thing is online and and i think a lot of kids or adults anybody who wanted to become a magician has access to a, a lot of stuff that me and you didn't have um do you think there's something missing from a uh, mentor because you, you mentioned you teach children magic well bear in mind a lot of the magic that i've learned uh what i i learned a lot of magic during the youtube age okay that's I right it so late so I learned magic in the 2000s and 2010s. So I've had a similar time frame as some of these young magicians. That's interesting. That's an interesting point because I mean, at first I would assume that because I started learning right before you couldn't get magic on YouTube. You couldn't, the magic yeah. cafe was just a brand new thing. L and L publishing was still doing the old VHS and the catalogs. Uh, so, you know, I had to wait and get the book and, you know, I learned primarily from books and I look at YouTube now and, you know, there's, there, yeah, it's there. There's probably a lot of bad magicians being produced by YouTube also because they're learning the skills, but not the performance. However, because they can see professional magicians performing on YouTube, hopefully they're picking up some of the performance as well. Now that's interesting because I am, I'm, like I said, you're, you're a performer like me and, you know, w we look at the entertainment side of things. And I find that interesting. I begin to wonder, not just in magic, but in a lot of different type of performing arts, is this new generation going to suffer because they're just like how, I mean, there's viral, there's, there's people who go viral on the internet who've never stood on stage a day in their life and then they get booked and sell out a theater and they've got to stand there and they're horrible because they've never learned how to perform on stage, you know? So it just makes me wonder, 
same thing in magic. You've got, you know, a lot of uh, bedroom magicians, you know, and that never really truly, uh, you know, they have to, they don't get out there and learn how to perform. Do you think the future of just performing arts in general may be in hot water? I couldn't even speculate. I mean, is there a future for performing arts? That's a whole other can of worms. Well, you know, the, the, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And because so much eventually is getting replaced by technology, AI, the, you know, any easier way to do something. But for entertainers, it seems like people would so much rather watch another human being sing a song than watch uh, a, a robot, you know, or I'm crossing so far. My real hard. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if, uh, if a robot does a card trick, I mean, it's cool. Okay. It did a card trick, but if it, you know, if it continuously does something that I think would be impossible, it's not near as impressive if I see, you know, a, a human being do it. So now here's a, a question. If, if I may, uh, can a robot do a card trick? Because a robot would need to feel out, there, a lot of magic is timing. A robot would need to feel out that moment of misdirection. Even if you're performing for a camera, you can't have a programmed rhythm. You know what I mean? Oh, Can absolutely. A do a card trick? I'm asking that for real. I, I, I th that's, that's another thing to think about. Maybe, I, cause yeah, I, I don't know, not until, not, not unless they, not unless we had some type of consciousness in that robot that they were able to, yeah, until then, I don't think it's going to be a problem. <laughs> I mean, maybe they could monitor the audience's pupils and breathing rates and who knows, it could get pretty creepy. It could get super creepy, but it wouldn't be impressive because it's almost like an app, you know, you know, when, it, when you do the, if someone does a magic trickle with their, on their iPhone. Or, or something, you know, the first thing people go to is, oh, well, that's an app, that's an app. you know, so um, I, I think in some ways magic is going to go back to bare bones, you know, it's going to be refreshing to see people do things with their hands and stuff like that. I think people do enjoy that, even though I think on the flip side, I think magic could be somewhat in trouble due to an art that is based around secrecy trying to survive in the information age where privacy is literally doesn't exist. Well, I don't think the secrecy will be a problem. I mean, people have been revealing magician secrets for a long time. I mean, even Harry Blackstone, uh, if the audience doesn't know who he is. He was, he was a colossally famous touring magician in the like the thirties uh, he was like a pop culture figure. He was doing ads for Camel cigarettes that were, that were, the slogan was, it's fun to fool people. Or no, it's fun to be fooled. Have you ever seen these? No, I haven't, but I would love to see it. He would give away like these major magical secrets in Life Magazine, in these ads. Um, I think as soon as people hear a magic secret, they're like, aha. And if you ask them a week later, they'll have forgotten what they even saw. They totally forget it. That is true. And I think, uh, I, now I agree with you there. I do agree with you there. I do, though, think something, something has diminished a little bit uh, away from magic, a little bit in the information age. I mean, because I was just coming in right as before this has really hit. And the only way you could actually really get up to find a secret of the trick or you had to have a book or, I mean, you could go through the public library, but you had to go somewhere. You had to make effort. Now you, you, 
you see some things being tossed out that you're kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe they're showing that, you know? Right. I, I personally don't do that anymore because I'm the top I've accepted. I really have accepted that if, if somebody wants to know the secret to a magic trick and find the name and Google it and they can find out anything they want. Um, but my goal is to once again, going back to the entertainment aspect of it, to be entertaining enough to where they don't really care. Exactly. Exactly. So, and that's what I get from you too. You know, I'm not, you know, you want to entertain the audience. You just don't want to fool them. Yeah. Um, I was going to add uh, in regard to live entertainment, I think one of the better things we could see coming out of COVID for entertainers is that after this, people are going to be dying to be in a live audience. Uh, oh my, that came out really wrong. No pun intended. <laughs> oh God, that was tasteless. Didn't mean it. Um, people are going to be very, very eager to be in a live audience. I think live arts and live performance are going to flourish. Where the money's going to come from, I don't know. I, don't I know think people are going to storm the clubs and the venues. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. I didn't mean storm. I mean uh, riot. <laughs> Everything is a loaded riot. word now. <laughs> the, okay. Well, here let's let's do this. Um, oh, on the Abracadam podcast, Tanya, we do magic on here. Okay. Now uh -oh. you you being a magician, you've been a magician. You're like magic folks. You guys listen. Magicians are the worst to do magic for. Really, they are. They're absolutely the worst. But I'm gonna make an exception with Tanya here. First, I noticed. I, I did. I don't know what the routine was, but I saw a balloon animal in your show. Okay. Right. I get asked all the time if I do balloon animals, and I only know one. So here, hold on. I'm gonna show you the one I know. Hold on. Check it out. You see it? <laughs> it's a bird. <laughs> okay, that's now the audience can't see this, can they? <laughs> no, they can't. They can't. So I mean, I thought you, you were gonna say a turkey first. Should I well, tell yeah, them? What yeah. it was? Could could have been a turkey, but it turned out to be a middle finger, folks. Here we go. All right. Now uh I'm gonna show you another one. This is a really good one. Okay, this is mentalism. I'm scared. Right? We're going to read some minds here. All right. Uh oh. Here we go, Tanya Solomon. You ready? As much as I've, I'll got, the, I've got the magic green glove on, and I'm going to put one hand behind my back. How many fingers am I holding up behind my back? Five. Five. I'm impressed. Seriously, I can't believe you nailed it. Five fingers. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. That's impressive. That's impressive. Uh, she is good, folks. I'm telling you. I got a question for you, Danny. Go for it. Do you do any tricks that don't use rubber gloves? <laughs> or and I, I could also ask, what, do you have an expanded repertoire with rubber gloves? Again, no pun intended. You know what's crazy is that I, not so much rubber gloves, but but a lot of fake hands. I, I, I've noticed that I'm starting to... Uh, to uh, to develop a collection of, of fake limbs so it's uh i was like i don't know this is kind of weird like if i ever get pulled over i hope they find drugs you know yes. what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> well i hope you roll with that collection of fake limbs i i hope it becomes something really really <laughs> well I, I, tell, I tell you what 
just because you are a magician, I got to show you a good one. And then, and then a afterwards, we'll talk about it. Okay. Here we go. All right, guys. Now on the Abracadam podcast, I usually have a, uh, the guest think of, think of a card here. So if you would, can you see it? Think of one of these cards. Don't name it. Just think of one. All righty. Don't think of that, that 10, 10 of diamond. That's too easy. Okay. Okay. Think of one. You got it. All right. It. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to shuffle the cards in the deck. All right. I'm going to hold the deck of cards right up here. Now let me ask you, Tanya, the card you're thinking of, are you thinking of a high card, a middle card or a low card? Low card. A low card. All right, here we go. I'm going to try to cut the deck, folks, right here. I've cut the deck. I'm obligated. Tanya, what was the name of the card you're just thinking of? The Three of Diamonds. The Three of Diamonds. Ladies and gentlemen, the card that I cut at, the Three of Diamonds. Holy moly. <laughs> Ta-da! That, that was... I mean, I'm, 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 I'm easily flabbergasted and I was flabbergasted. Well, Tanya, you have been abracadamed. I have been abracadamed. <laughs> Great to hell. I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, since she's a magician, we'll tell her how it works after the podcast. Um, let's do this though. Let's hear a, uh, because like I said, you've been at it for a while. You have been a performer for a while. And on the show, I usually like to have entertainers talk about a hell gig story. We've all got one. I want to hear yours. Well, Danny, it so happens. Well, let's see, which one should I tell? Maybe there's the time that, um, yeah, that part of my act ate another part of my act. What? That's a pretty short story. Uh, well, when I was touring in 2018-19, I was touring with two live animals, a hound dog and a betta fish. They were both in my show. <laughs> the betta fish had the bigger ego. Um, I used the. I, I would make the fish appear. It's aerial fishing, if you know what that is, when you catch a fish in midair. The fish was not injured. I mean, not under show business conditions. Uh, one day, the, the hound dog who uh, appeared at the end of the show in an empty cage, one day the, the hound dog drank the fish. But that's not a hell game. <laughs> that was, you know, the hound dog got sick of the fish. Who knows? Yeah, um, more appropriate to a hell gig. I mean, I hesitate to tell you this story because it's kind of close to home for you. Oh, we, we definitely have to hear it now. I mean, does Knoxville, Tennessee ring a bell? Knoxville is super close to home. Rings a big bell. Let's hear it. We got to hear it. Okay. Well, I got booked at a club in Knoxville, which let me say this, it, this club, the people there were absolutely lovely. This was just human error that ended up being a hell gig situation. Uh, I had a gig at a drag club. When I'm on tour, I book independent venues and a, one type of independent venue I love playing is drag clubs. Uh, usually a really great audience, really friendly folks. And they're, you know, like a comedy club. They're happy to see something a little different. They're happy to see mm -hmm. magic. So I booked the gig a couple months ahead of time with the owner of this drag club. I get to the drag club, which was kind of difficult in itself because I kept going to the address through Google Maps and I kept ending up at the U-Haul. 
And I asked inside the U-Haul store, have you heard of such and such drag club? And they were like, drag? What, what's drag? <laughs> and they, they, they had no idea. And it turned out that it was directly behind the U-Haul, but it was unmarked, uh, sort of squeezed between the U-Haul and a, and a knife store. And I, I thought that might just be because it was in Tennessee. I had a stereotype that maybe the drag club in Knoxville, Tennessee had to be hidden, but people were like, no, this place has been open 30 years. Everyone in town has been here. I don't know what was wrong with the people at the U-Haul. Anyway, I found it. I got inside. I talked to the bartender. Bartender said, magic show? Oh, nobody told me about any magic show. Oh. The owner had forgotten to inform anyone that he'd booked me, not to mention to promote it or anything. I'd sent out a press release, and you know how it is. You send out a press release in another town. The press checks with the venue, the venue's website. If it's not there, they just throw it out. So the bartender was so sweet, and he was like, well, if you say you were booked, I believe you were booked, but we don't have any time because Pulp Friction is playing tonight. Pulp Friction was, you know them? I know who Pulp Friction, yeah, 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 absolutely. They are a 90s cover band and apparently a very big draw in Knoxville. And the bartender said, look, go ahead, load in, set up. You can do a half hour before Pulp Friction sets up. And I went in the room, the room was beautiful. It was such a gorgeous theater in this weird little place behind the knife store. And I got everything set up. I got the dog ready for his trick. I, I mean, it was only like, a, my show's usually an hour, but it was like half an hour's worth of material. It's still my, my stage show, it takes half an hour to set up. And that's after years of doing these routines. I, I can do the setup like that, but it's, it's complicated. Let's say that there's a lot of little bells and whistles. Set the whole thing up, got ready to start. No one was there. That's all right. What wasn't all right was the tech guy wasn't there. Uh, so I'm waiting and waiting. Clock is ticking till Pulp Friction plays. I've spent forever setting up my act. I'm looking out at a gorgeous theater. There's three people in it. I think they were in Pulp Friction. <laughs> the tech guy shows up and rolls his eyes at me. <sighs> and I think I did a card trick. <laughs> and then Pulp Friction was like we're sorry that was great but we got to set up and so another another whole rigmarole breaking the whole thing down uh and suddenly the room was flooded with people there to see Pulp Friction oh. and uh at the at, I gotta say this club I'm not naming them because you know, things went wrong, but they were, they were lovely people. They paid me at the end of the night. Um, there was a great drag show. I suppose <laughs> that's not the most hellish gig there is. Just well, uh, No, well, it definitely sucks because, yeah. you know, there's, there's nothing worse than, than showing up to a venue that hasn't been, I've, I've been there, you know, we've all done that. We've all had those situations, you know, um, you know, don't ever do a door gig, uh, a, a door deal you know, and uh, show up, there's five people, you know, yeah. uh, it's awful. So, I mean, anybody who's ever worked the road or done stuff has run into those type of situations. And I book my own tours and I kind of suck at it. 
<laughs> I was learning by doing, and I do a very, to use that, that old punk word again, DIY tour. I book independent venues. I do all the booking and promotion myself, except for what the venues do. And uh, I'm not a very good business person, which a person in show business should be, but I'm learning by doing. Absolutely. That's the best way you get in there and you just learn by experience. Uh, just kind of like you, you've got a track record of doing it so far and it looks like you've done a good job. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes there are those, there are those nights though. Um, that's funny. Also funny that I know exactly the venue you're talking about. Um, and uh, right here pretty much in my hometown. So <laughs> it's a great venue. And the people there were so sweet and so apologetic and they gave me dinner and it is a good venue. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. It just sucks whenever, yeah, if it's not promoted well, that really sucks. I uh, mean, one of the hell gigs I can think of are from my sideshow days. Okay. Well, you didn't ever like get choked on a bug or anything, right? Or Oh, I've had, uh, I've had infections from doing human pin cushion. I've burned myself. Uh, I used to be the target on my boyfriend's knife board. He was a knife thrower and I got a knife in the thigh once. Ooh, that's got to be a lot of trust in that relationship. Um, uh, as soon as we broke up, that act was over. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, were, there was the time uh, I used to walk on broken glass. And uh, it's, again, sideshow is all real. When you see someone walking on broken glass, they're not walking on sugar glass, whatever that is. I guess like movie prop glass. They're walking on broken glass. But part of the thing is you're supposed to break off the bottom of the bottle so you don't walk on that because that's certain death. And I said, I, I always broke bottles in front of the audience so they could see it was real. Uh, my boyfriend and I in our, in our sideshow would play music for each other. Like I'd play accordion for him and he'd play saw for me when we would switch off performances. I did my glass walking. I set the, the bottom of the broken bottle down sat down, picked up my accordion, sat right down on a jagged broken bottle and my ass bled all over Pittsburgh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You did a smash and stab with your booty. I sure did. There weren't many options either. <laughs> smash and stab being, you know, where you jam your hand down. I don't know how much your audience knows magic or. That, that was magic jargon. I'm sorry, okay. folks. I'm sorry. You, get, you at least get a choice. You're going to smash your hand down on something sharp or you're going to smash your <laughs> hand down on something that's not sharp. I just had something sharp and I went right for it with my <laughs> yeah. axe. Yeah. You know, I've actually got a, a, a an act a bit like that to where I, I, I set on it instead of smashing it. So On purpose? Well, yeah. It's a smash and stab, baby. You got to get crazy with it. You do yes. smash and stab with your ass? That is very creative. <laughs> so... Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's craziness, craziness in the works. Um, okay, well, let's do this. Uh, let's see. We have, well, actually, this has really been fun, actually. The time is super fun with you. Um, do you have any, uh, a website or, or any information you'd like to plug for the listeners before we get out of here? Uh, I have one thing I could plug. My website, which hasn't been updated since COVID started, is tanyasolomon.net. That's www.tanyasolomon.net. During COVID, I have been focused on doing stuff for kids because I think that will be more financially useful in these times. Uh, like I said uh, earlier in the podcast, I have a separate character that I do for kids, Razzle Dazzle. I do Zoom magic shows for kids. It's razzledazzlemagic.com. Uh, you can book through the website and the advantage is I can do it all over the country now. Uh, I can do it all over the world if, if you speak English. 
and I do speak French. Uh, so also France, Senegal, Quebec. Yeah, hire me. Um, the other thing I've been doing for kids is a YouTube series in which I do magic and a variety of other really stupid, silly things. There is nothing educational about my series for kids. It's meant to be purely silly and give them some relief in these times. Uh, oh boy, I just used that phrase in these times. Anyway, they, they need some silly relief. And I have heard that a lot of adults are secretly watching it without their kids. And that show is called Razzle Dazzle Soup. You can find that on YouTube. That's three separate words, Razzle Dazzle Soup. And uh, been doing. I did several of those so far. Awesome. Well, you know what, Tanya? I wish we had even more time to talk because you're such an interesting person. And I've sure, been thanks, so impressed with your resume, your background. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Abracadam podcast. Danny, when this is all over, I'm going to show up at your door with a chocolate box full of Madagascar hissing roaches. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't wait. <laughs> this was so much fun. Thank you so much. All right. That does it for that episode of the Abracadam podcast with Tanya Solomon. She is such an interesting person to talk with and she's an amazing magician. Be sure to check out her YouTube channel and her website. Also, the Abracadam podcast will be starting a YouTube channel here soon, so to where you can actually see me do some of these ridiculous magic tricks to our guests and uh, kind of get more of a visual of what's going on on the podcast. So stay tuned for that on our YouTube channel. Also, thank you for uh, following and subscribing the Abracadam podcast, and uh, thank you for all the likes on the Facebook page. You guys are amazing. Please keep it up and spread the word. And like always, thank you for listening.